0: To Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we dive deep into Wabo's most work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot D. Bolt. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back to talk about Null 9.1. It's a new arc. It's a new day, Elliot. But
1: an old protagonist.
0: Yes, and uh, I don't want to sound more positive than this arc is, because it starts (laughs) and it's a real... I don't know. It's a real drag. Not like reading it, but for the protagonist.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're almost immediately thrown back into, like, Blake's life is suffering mode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, um, I, I don't want to make out that what happened to Mags was, like, a, a fun old romp for her, but...
0: Yeah, it, at least it, it kind of
1: ended on a high note, right? Well, it was a fun read. Like, you know, it, at the end of the day, nothing that bad actually happened to her like you know yeah. apart from losing she didn't herself, end up like... losing her parents or anything which was on the table <laughs> there was there's no like hands half falling off eyes missing <laughs> sort of body <laughs> horror going yes. on for her
0: um there's yeah yeah i mean you know I, when you come when you get down to it mags almost lost her personality and blake is losing his personality like <laughs> what's happening to blake is just a strictly worst case of what has happened to mags right
1: well, but also Blake's, uh, like, mental soul and physical body seem to be in some sort of race to, to be disintegrated first. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Um, and so the way the chapter opens is with uh, Blake thinking, when I opened my eyes, rain had settled in my one eye socket. <laughs> Which is just <laughs> such a, like, <laughs> it's such an on point way to open this uh, dark, dingy, depressing chapter, right? Like, oh, one yeah. eye
1: socket. Okay, great. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. My first response to reading that was that's new, right? He what? He, he's lost an eye. Like, oh, oh, God. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. Yeah. And so we the, the actually
0: one of the fun things about this chapter is we kind of see our point of view picking themselves up and kind of realizing that they're in terrible shape. But we don't, you know, we don't really know who it is. Um you kind of know who it is just based off of the writing style and kind of sliding back into the characterization before it's ever really explicitly confirmed.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like, I think, you know, even from very early on, there's this sense of, uh, yeah, this is Blake, I'm like 99% sure. And Mm. then, yeah, eventually it's confirmed, but there's just something about the way he's thinking about the environment and everything—that just you're just like, oh yeah, this this is good old Blake.
0: Yeah, and the fact that he is so beaten up, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, only well, that's Blake, very Blake has ever been this beaten up. <laughs> um, I, I like this line where Blake thinks, "I ran my fingers through my hair and found my hands stiff to the point of being wooden." Um, and the whole chapter is full of beats like this where Blake is talking about, um. It, how how much of a struggle it is, really, for him to even just navigate through this environment. Like, he has to pull his feet through this, like, heavy mud that, that kind of is sucking him down. And he falls over into it, at least once.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, he he's sort of- he's got all these injuries, but it's not affecting him, like, anywhere near as much as it should, you know? Like, it's- um
0: <laughs> Of course, which is classic
1: Blake. <laughs> yeah, but it's also- this place like like when, oh, yeah. when i went through it the first time and he was talking about how wooden he is like i was like oh that's all the wax that's in him like mm. and then on a second read like you know i was like i uh, no, i think like you know the fact that he can't move himself probably is just it, it like i'm almost more willing to believe it's just this place uh that it is like um you know any any remaining wax from uh, yeah. his mortal life
0: yeah, I, I get what you mean. There's a bit later where he talks about being numb, and you do really get the sense that, like, whatever the situation he's in, he's, every every kind of sense and every emotion is just being dulled by the overall kind of, like, nothingness of this place.
1: Hmm. Hmm.
0: Yeah. And so, uh, something that I've never noticed about this place, uh, <laughs> that, that I think we'll just call the drain... Um, is mm-hmm. i always it, it kind of has this vibe of being a bit of a like dingy dungeon cave um but yeah it's it's raining so that it's like a cave in that you can't see stars or anything there's just kind of feels like there's some claustrophobic thing keeping you in but actually there's rain so it, it, it's got this weird uh combination of you you're enclosed but there's also enough of an open space above you for rain <laughs> to be falling in and making you constantly wet and cold
1: yeah i I mean i almost picture it as a roof that you can't see but you feel is there Mm. like you know when you're in a big cave yeah and and when the lights aren't around there's like something in your animal brain that's like oh there's not much space even though you can't see the limits of that space And, and i think like you know for all we know it the sky does go on infinitely above him but there's sort of something that's giving you this impression that there isn't much space there.
0: Yeah, like when it's dark and you think the wall's right next to you and so you're acting like you're really kind of compressed in space, but you reach out and it's yeah. just a bit further away than you thought. So you have more space than you thought, but you're still kind of boxed in mentally,
1: right? Yeah, exactly. And I think this place is sort of hammering that impression in on Blake.
0: Yes. Um. And so this drain, <laughs> it's also a drain, right? So the fact that there's water raining down, it it might not actually be water. It might be who knows what. And do you mean
1: PP? I, mean, I mean, I meant PP, Elliot. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to, to use make the sure. The technical term. Yeah, the medical definition. Um. Yeah. Okay. I, so I just want to rant for a bit about the structure of mm. um this place, the the drain, because um, one of my biggest pet peeves in urban fantasy or any fantasy, but mostly urban ones, is when they have like afterlives, particularly heavens or hell, and it's just like an exaggerated version of a place that could exist on Earth. Mm. Like, like TV shows and movies are the worst of this, because, you know, like, heaven will just be, like, white corridors, and, mm. and hell will just be, like, a, a dark dungeon or something, yep. or just, like, I don't know, like, look like the inside of a volcano, and I get that TV and movies are kind of limited in what they can do there, but... Just the, uh, like how everything is like, oh, and and when you die, your soul goes onto the next plane, and and what what does that look like? Well, it's just your soul looks like your body still, but now it's dressed in different clothes. I guess <laughs> you're wearing white suit and, instead. Yeah, exactly. And it's just it's so boring, and I hate it. Um, and, and so it was interesting going into this because this is sort of our first look at the a, or a afterlife impact. I don't know if mm. it quite if it's technically an afterlife depends on your definition i guess but um pact was sort of the first story ever where i was like hey you know heaven can just be white corridors and hell can just be fires because everyone thinking it that might make it so mm. but also i knew walbo is better than that um <laughs> so i was i was sort of quietly confident that even if that was the general sense there'd be some cool twist to it and that's essentially what we get here like th- this is essentially a cool spin on purgatory mm Um, but it's not just like empty nothingness, it's like oppressive nothingness, uh, like psychologically as well as just sort of, you know, physically, like, and you know, that's so packed, like on every level, this place is just hollowing you out, I guess. Yeah, completely grinding you down. Um,
0: and let's talk about this a bit more when we meet, uh, Green Eyes, because I think she's a prime example- And she's the example used to show us just how terrifying this place is, right?
1: Yeah, but like you know, as we're coming into an arc that I assume most of it will, at least, like may, maybe even not just this arc will be set in this place. Um, and, and the arc is called Null. I mean, that really sort of summarizes what this place <laughs> yes. is is doing to Blake. It's making him like numb and and you know like null and void. You know, um, but. Also, I mean one part of me is all couldn't help but think you know so this place is like a it's like a sewer system, right, because conceptually it's where the discarded bits of the world end up, mm. so conceptually, it makes sense that it's a sewer, but like what what it looked like two thousand years ago, you know, like like I wonder if this place well presumably this place updates over time um so i, I like i'm i'm i don't know maybe that's a good discussion question, I don't know, just like what. What would this place have looked like 2,000 years ago?
0: Mm. Yeah, fair enough. Well, let's... We'll save it for next uh, next uh, chapter. We'll kick off another discussion question talking about <laughs> what the sewers looked like. Um, so, so yeah, Blake is in these, these sewers, these drains, and he's kind of trying to get his bearing, but it's all just muck, um, and he falls into the muck, and then there's bugs everywhere in <laughs> his clothes... On his arms. I wrote in his arms by mistake here, but that doesn't feel too far off, honestly.
1: Um, Yeah, given what we learned about his left hand. Yeah, true. um, It's quite likely. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Sorry, uh, I'm probably still on the point I was just making before, but, like, do you think the bugs are, like, a part of the setting, like, just something that Mm. the spirits conjure up to make it worse? Or do you think some set of bugs really fucked up and- (laughs) And now they're ended up here and they're just sort of surviving.
0: I can imagine the factory that Earl was in, like, maybe had some termites or something and he ate their connections and they slipped through and ended up here too. (laughs) Um, But I like the idea of the bugs because it does give you this kind of... It starts planting this feeling of Blake is being eroded, right? Like, there's Mm. bugs. You can imagine bugs kind of getting in his body and kind of eating him from the inside out, which is gross, and it's also what this place is doing to him.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think Green Eyes uses the term compost uh, yeah. later in the chapter. And, I mean, that's definitely what this- I mean, it also took me immediately back to uh, Craig Doubt's house. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Where we had something similar happen. Um, but, yeah, we also see- Like, we get an update on Blake's tattoos. And um, I'm not a trained medical professional, but my diagnosis would be it's not good.
0: <laughs> yeah. They look pretty bad. Yeah. Um one other thing that uh gets gets set up here is there's an old light bulb sitting in a kind of uh lantern cage uh, just flickering on and off, casting dim orange light all over this, you know, dungeon from an old RPG.
1: Um yeah, I mean the light flickering on and off is used to great effect throughout this chapter cuz uh I mean, Blake's not seeing so good right now, mm. like so he's down one eye and his working eye is uh, got like half erred from the sound of it, yeah, um, so like it's not working very well, so he's really dependent on this light to make out just about anything mm uh and well like Walbo switches it on and off uh as, <laughs> as sort of part of a statement or a joke like multiple times throughout this uh chapter it's it's yeah, used very it's well, good.
0: yeah, um. And, uh, in the stingy light, Blake realises things have gotten worse because his, his hand is basically cut in half, I guess, like split in half down the middle.
1: Yep. Um, and, and like, this is where we really start to get the idea that of how numbed it is because it doesn't even really hurt. Like Blake, Blake's like playing with it for a bit, uh, as the lights flickering on and off, uh. So yeah, and I mean you know later on he's sort of like he can't even be frozen and and have like a panic attack mm. because he he can't feel enough yep. to have a proper panic attack.
0: <sighs> yeah, it's it it it's uh dank in yeah. the sense that it's very like dingy, um, it just like emotionally grimy, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so finally, uh, you know, we kind of get it explicitly confirmed that this is Blake, even though we've kind of... It feels like it's like, okay, yeah, well, it's Blake, but we we already pretty much knew that for sure. Um, (laughs) And Blake remembers what happened at the factory. Uh, His connections got cut off, which we saw, and these kind of cracks like the ones that we saw with Mags opened up, and as Blake was trying to escape from Ur, he fell through the cracks and woke up
1: here. Yeah, so the good news is we don't have to worry about... uh you know n- not being able to get Blake back cuz this is, this is Blake classic.
0: Mm. Yeah, seemingly
1: uh, didn't eat him. Um so this is still Blake, question mark. Yeah. <laughs> I mean for now. <laughs> yeah. From the sounds from the sounds of what this place does to you, uh he's on a bit of a time limit to get out of here still him. Yeah. Um
0: Blake uh sees a another thing that isn't a bug. Uh, a kind of green-eyed, thin, translucent-skinned uh, mermaid that is very spooky and just kind of <laughs> sets us up as like, yeah, you're not alone, Blake. Like, stakes are still high.
1: Yeah, like, the one thing this place had going for up until now was that nothing was actively trying to creepily kill him. Uh, yeah. It turns I mean, out but- that's sort of still <laughs> the case, but this this sort of takes that away as a given.
0: Yeah, I mean, Blake was always talking about wanting to be alone eventually. So <laughs> yeah. up until now, you could possibly interpret this as a happy ending. But no, there's there's other <laughs> stuff here. Um, I don't think this is what he meant. but sure. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, let's agree to disagree. Uh, anyway, so so Blake kind of continues around and, and the lights are going on and off here. Um, and he basically it, it eventually has to start navigating completely blind. So he's feeling his way around with this kind of plank with a nail on it. And eventually finds the end of the path where a bridge has collapsed and he basically is stranded. Um, mm. And looking down into the water down below, he can see these pale green eyes of this creature looking back up at him, um, just waiting. <laughs> <laughs> and so, of course, he he doesn't have any anything else to do but kind of call it up and and face it head on.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is it's so great because it's really just a moment where he's just like, well... Shit, I may as well try talking to it. Like, what else am I going to do? Yeah. And, of course, because this is the World of Pact, it's sort of like, that's actually a good thing where he's like, oh, just be confident and theatrical. And, you know, I, I mean, I guess there's spirits down here. I-, I can't imagine they're like the cool kind of spirits stand up <laughs> here. Um, yeah. But, yeah, like, I just love that he's still thinking in that way because uh, I just I just love the World of Pact so much that that's the way it encourages you to think.
0: Yeah. Um. But he kind of is proven right, right? Like he, uh, uh he he woos this creature, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I guess yeah. so.
0: Yeah, so this leads to a very interesting conversation, uh, and there are a lot of bits that we can pull out, but we'll
1: uh, we'll kind of restrain ourselves from not just repeating this entire conversation. Um, yeah, because this I wanna... is this is like almost all of the rest of the chapter. Now is is him and Green Eyes, uh, kind of getting to know each other and. Yep. There's so much you want to pull out here.
0: Yes, definitely. Uh, I'm going to pull out a start a bit from near the start where Green Eyes says, I don't know what you're like, she said. A pause. But I was human. Do you have a name? Not anymore. Only other person to talk to me couldn't speak anymore. When I think of who I am, my old name gets mixed up with underwater sounds in my head, I guess. Um, th- all of that is horrifying. There's no good <laughs> bit in there. Uh, but, like, it... it we get maybe four or five beats throughout that one kind of sentence at the end, of how how much this place dehumanizes you. Um, she she was a human, but not anymore. She's lost her name, which is obviously. I mean, we we've been basically thinking about how important names are to identity for the past what eight or nine chapters. <laughs> yeah, at least. Um, and and I I love my one other favorite part of mine here is, Green Eyes says. Only other person to talk to me couldn't speak anymore. So, like, <laughs> even whatever other monster, which is kind of implied to be the other mermaid, right? Oh, no, that mermaid just got lost. I don't know who it was. Yeah. No, I
1: think maybe it's the snail bartering person. Right,
0: yeah. The snail bartering know. person. They, they literally can't speak anymore. So, like, clearly, Green Eyes isn't the bottom of the barrel. She she is in her way of falling down and still has worse to to hit, right?
1: Man, I just realized, snail snail bartering person's gonna have a snail for a tongue, isn't he? That's why he can't speak.
0: <laughs> who knows? It could be anything. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, it's really
0: fucked up. Um, and obviously, we this kind of recontextualizes the numbness that Blake is
1: feeling as the first step towards becoming. Well, being who knows down. what? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, like this sort of makes sense because the the people who end up in in the drain, in these sewers, like, they're already kind of, like, fucked up, like, you know, empty, like, connectionless, it makes sense that they would be much easier to morph, especially in a place that it almost seems kind of designed to help that along, in a lot of ways, um, Mm. so, yeah, because I guess, yeah, I, like, I guess I was comparing this place to Afterlives before, but, because I don't think it's an afterlife, they- for the people here, they seem to be like souls and and even somewhat bodies, but it's just very much the the place where things that are empty and malleable end up, yeah, so I wanted to pull out one bit uh green eyes talks uh, a bit about uh you know what happens to some of the other people, like some people get weakened and and sort of brought away, some manage to transform like she and and snail man have, and uh others actually get more powerful for it and and these ones are usually you know pe- other people seem to come down and pick them out and and take them away mm. which like i'm assuming th- those are the way the midges and and some of the other boogeymen that yeah. we are uh, that we've met throughout the story
0: yeah that seems to be the case i mean blake seems to think that green eyes
1: is talking about practitioners kind of summoning things from here um well, i wonder if there's like groups of practitioners who come down and basically find others because you know you'd need like you'd need to sort of know what you're trying to Mm. summon like if there's something down here that that is new like when midge was first made yeah maybe there was some practice like there's these practitioners who come down and kind of scope the place out and when they find something like midge they i don't know do something like bind her or something and that's how she becomes someone that you know people like rose can summon like if as that information about her spreads yeah
0: definitely um which turns this into a kind of uh uh, what the inside of a Pokeball
1: looks like, I suppose, uh, where, where all the Pokemon are just in there waiting to be summoned. Oh, it's like, uh, I mean, how many sci-fi like TV show episodes have you watched where there's like a bunch of prisoners and somebody comes in and selects the prisoners and it's not a good thing. You never, <laughs> yeah, you, never want, sure. you, you never want the scary people to come down and pick you to be one of the people to leave the prison. That's yeah. worse.
0: Yeah. It is a tried and true sci-fi trope, isn't <laughs> it? Um, so, yeah, we... we have officially met green eyes at this point um and she's great she's uh, mm. both terrifying and adorable like she's exactly the midpoint between
1: those two things well she's like she's obviously kind of physically disturbing like the translucent skin she's this sort of like i'm picturing like a like an anglerfish human yeah. hybrid uh but also like you know even if she's kind of physically off-putting she seems really nice and like pretty chill. Like she seems like a cool person. She she kind of gives me like, uh,
0: like not not schoolgirl vibes, but like you know, like a young woman kind of just got out of school and is kind of you know, um, a, a little childish still, but uh, mm. uh, mature enough that she's kind of able to I don't know exist in this scenario.
1: Yeah, I mean, like God knows how she might have ended up here. But yeah, it seems like, yeah, she was just like a, you know, a, a young adult or or something like girl who just somehow ended up here. And like, she's still just kind of a nice person, just not completely a person anymore, I guess.
0: Um, So this isn't a spoiler, Elliot, because I literally can't remember if this ends up being the case or not, but I like it. I'm going to kind of stake my own personal prediction on it. Uh, the only other person that we know has ended up in this similar situation is the girlfriend of Nick's son, Nick of the Knights of the Basement. Um, And so it kind of, I don't know. (laughs) I'm just kind of headcanoning it in my head that that's who this is. (laughs) This is just some nameless girl who knew the son of Nick and disappeared and ended up here, what, like two or three years ago, and in that time has turned
1: into a, a mermaid monster. Yeah. See, I th- I actually like thought about that briefly, and then I was like, "No, like, because you, you know, I-, I got the impression Green Eyes had been down here a lot longer." Mm. Um, but wait, God, yeah, I don't, I don't know how long mermaid conversion takes.
0: Yeah, I, I, I kind of had that thought of like, no, wait, wouldn't this need to take longer? And then I was like, well, probably not.
1: <laughs> and-, and also, like, God knows how time maps down here, right? Like, you know, yeah. one of those things where one year on Earth is. Like ten years down here or whatever. Yeah. So
0: one other thing to, to call out is Blake is clearly losing his memories. He he forgets the names of Alexis and Rose. Um I mean he forgets them momentarily. He kind of is able to pull them up and then realises like, Hey wait, hold on, how come I couldn't remember <laughs> their names? Yeah. It's hard to know if it's the drain or if it's like uh his his fight against the erasure demon. But whatever it is, it's bad.
1: Yeah, like, I could see it being both, honestly. Like, like we saw with Mags, when she lost the name Maggie Holt, it stopped meaning anything to her. So, like, I could see, you know, like, having his connection snapped would cause him internally to start to forget a bit as well. But yeah. also, I imagine the drain is not helping.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, okay, one other thing while we're here. Or maybe two other things. <laughs> one more is... Uh, we we were kind of touching on I think it was last uh episode, thinking about how others don't have to just be evil, like uh and and maybe I've bought into Johannes' propaganda a bit that, that others yeah. just need to hunt because, you know, Evan obviously isn't evil. Um and I think Green Eyes is another great example of the, the grey morality of others. She's kinda of monstrous, but obviously chill,
1: you know. You know, I like I don't know that much about Green Eyes. I'm kind of assuming she's gonna still be in the story. Uh, How do you know that? Because <laughs> because she's our logo. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> pending pending some other revelations, I'm not even going to call her grey morality. She just seems like good morality. I'm giving her the, the thumbs up seal of approval for now. All right, because I think the only the only arguable thing she does is like the fact that she wants to eat Blake uh, after he dies. But I'm going to give her a pass on that because a she actually wanted to save him, and he said no, because of like you know very understandable personal reasons, yeah, and like b she asked permission, and c considering this is a place where like you you sort of literally become what you eat, uh being able to <laughs> eat fresh human is just a really sensible decision, and
0: yeah totally yeah
1: so so i I am fully supportive of uh mm-hmm. green eyes consensual. I don't even want to call it cannibalism because, like, she's she's not even that human anymore. But you know, <laughs> I'm completely okay with everything she's done so far in this chapter. All right, green eyes, a big thumbs up. <laughs> I um, mean, and also just the the way the way she asked to eat Blake, and then he was like, "Yeah, sure, why not?" And then she, "Why not? Like, Yeah, cool. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Like, um, it was so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Uh, and and Blake imagines it that it's spelt K E W L, which is very, which is a great little bit of characterization for Green Eyes. Yeah,
1: well, because it made it made me jump back up. Like at first, I read it, it was like, oh, cool, and then he said that, and I went back up and you sort of read it as cool. <laughs>
0: like- yeah. Um. So Green Eyes has basically given Blake all of the advice that she can think of about leaving the drain and the fact that it is impossible slash never going to happen. Um. And they kind of part ways uh with green eyes wanting to give blake a little kiss on the cheek and she does and it's sweet but also strange
1: i mean it's it's a really big warning sign about how numb blake is becoming and it's something like he's conscious of he's like this is upsetting me but nowhere near as much as it should be uh (laughs) to the point where he like lets it happen which you know a couple of hours ago in in blake time he would never have said yes to something like this like regardless he's of what just green in love. eyes will die
0: maybe he's just in love all right
1: yeah are we still shipping blake with everything that moves <laughs> um
0: yeah the green eyes blake ship is full steam ahead
1: um i mean uh people have people have suggested worse throughout the time we've been doing this podcast mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean also so just just to be clear so we're skipping the whole description of how Green Eyes became a mermaid. <laughs> yeah, all right, all right. Let's um, touch on um, it. I, I feel it's worth just, like, we've got to at least give it the time to to just exclaim what the actual fuck.
0: Yes, uh, because Green Eyes became a mermaid in some kind of the shape of water come to life uh, <laughs> situation, more or less, where she fell into the water and couldn't get out and was rescued by a mermaid, another mermaid, uh, who breathed for her breathed oxygen into her lungs and kind of taught her to hold her breath over time long enough that she could breathe underwater and then they made love and his scaly rough skin ripped off all her skin and now she's a mermaid also that's she ate how fish a mermaid gets born <laughs> yeah she ate of course yeah sorry
1: yeah i mean like dracula such an amateur in retrospect <laughs> right like vampire <laughs> converting is actually pretty chill
0: well, you don't have all your skin sexed off. Uh, yeah. No, you're right. It is a total what the fuck. And it it, it is like, it really does kind of, sh- I mean, again, the, the theme of these drains is you're literally going to be, I don't know, like, grinded into submission, right? Um,
1: yeah, it's a very- It's a very literal and dark interpretation of that, uh, um, that as Blake points out, it seems almost specifically designed to, uh, be his worst nightmare. (laughs) Yes,
0: definitely. Um, yes, it, it is. Uh, speaking of Blake's worst nightmare, um, he, he continues on, he leaves Green Eyes behind and he hears voices coming from like still puddles nearby or maybe in his head. It's kind of uncertain, um, but he recognises these voices, and he looks, and he can see in these puddles, Rose, Alexis, and the Cabal, uh, and and Rose is talking about a ritual that she didn't do, although she can't remember why, but she does remember that she has done the Awakening ritual before, fucked it up on purpose, and this time is gonna do it right.
1: Okay, so before we get to that, <laughs> um, so so I guess he's kind of in the mirror a bit or something? like Yeah, that that's where my head went, um... And and I think
0: it's Alexis who talks about, or they're talking about how they're they're kind of at the house now. They're at the the Thorburn house.
1: Yeah. Um, well, the first words he hears are like "we're in," which um, you know, so they got through whatever the Bahames did, I guess. Yeah. Uh but yeah, because you know, Rose Rose when she was in the mirrors was sort of most strongly connected to the house. Yeah. And like, so you know, we don't know exactly what, what is going on with Blake, but maybe like. With, with the connection being maybe somewhat still around or something, and yeah, you know, with Rose being in the house, he can tap into it a little bit or something. I don't know, like, I, I there's maybe something here, but like, definitely, I like the whole point of this segment. I, I think is Blake, you know, had he wanted to get out like because he's just, you know, he's the warrior, he's the fighter, but now it's like, now he really needs to get out because you know, he's he's got a bit of a mission now, he needs to get out of here so he can go up to Rose and be like, What the fuck, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, now I'm pretty sure that Rose wasn't in this place when she was in the mirror dimension. Uh, so they haven't, it, it hasn't got, uh, like. Well, they- you
1: don't know. She's, she's full of shit, clearly. Like. Yeah.
0: She clearly is full of <laughs> shit. So maybe, maybe you're right. Um, uh,
1: anyway. No, no, I, I, I'm inclined to believe that she was just sort of in more of a void type thing. Like I, yeah. I was very much picturing her when the mirror's boundaries ended, she, it was just blackness. Yeah. Uh and that—that's sort of what I'm still working on. But yeah, like th- this is this to me is just maybe some like the connection they had was so strong, or was being powered by some other source that, like to some extent, it's managed to survive um, mm. whatever Er did, um, but is reversed because Blake's so weak or or something. Yeah. Um, I don't know.
0: Yeah. Um, so yeah, Rose is uh, an evil mastermind, maybe. Who knows? She never awakened, so she could lie this entire time. So she could
1: have been lying about literally anything. Yeah, I mean, didn't we talk about that? Like sometime in Arc 7? Like uh, I think I think so. We talked about it at some point. There was a thing where she said something about where she was before or something she oh, did that's before right. connecting yeah, to yeah, white, yeah, And uh and they didn't add up at all. And I kind of jokingly suggested that maybe she was in some long con um that it turns out she actually did pull off. So like there you go. Because it's a good lie. I think this is what I said, is lying about not being able to lie is a very good lie if you can keep <laughs> pulling it off. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's interesting because now Rose is in a situation where she, she may genuinely not fully remember why she did this. Uh, yes. Because it was it was no doubt a very Blake-centric uh, idea.
0: Yeah, she explicitly can't remember why, right? She says she can't remember why she lied about it or
1: why well, she yeah, but- didn't do it. But she could be lying. Wait, that's the thing. Yeah. Like, I, <laughs> yeah, okay. I needed to. I needed to do this legit awakening ritual so I can actually somewhat believe everything she Yeah. Um.
0: Yeah. I guess I. I'm kind of curious to ask what your general read on Rose is here, because like obviously she could have been lying about everything. But even yeah. with this reveal in mind, there are things that feel too genuine to be lies. Like. Her relationship with Blake was so strained that if she was lying about everything, I doubt she would. They would have such a strained
1: relationship. <laughs> I doubt she would. Like that would be the path
0: that she chose to go down with her lies.
1: Yeah, y- yeah, you're right. Um, I-, I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm inclined to believe that this isn't one of the situations where she was an evil mastermind the whole time. I, I think, like you know, I, I, I sort of. Sp- speculated for a long time that there was some reason she was keeping something from Blake. Mm. And I think it's more still just something like that. Like there was some reason, maybe she knew the awakening ritual wasn't going to work while she was in the mirrors and she just decided it would be better if Blake trusted her, which is, you know, like a (laughs) shitty- That does sound like
0: a Rose move, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. And it's like a shitty thing to do, but it's not like evil mastermind, actually the villain of the story evil. It's just kind Mm. of like, God, like, you know. You asshole. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and especially we saw into her head in Seven .dot x, and um, you know, she still seemed very genuinely confused. Like there was never this moment of like, You've "Oh, your plan, it. your plan has worked." <laughs> like even her note wasn't good enough for that. So so yeah, like I, I'm I'm inclined to believe that this was just kind of a, a stupid thing Rose did. That I kind of get why she did it.
0: Yeah, I, I guess it is worth you know keeping in mind that. In Rose's note, she didn't necessarily expect Blake to lose to the erasure team. Um, that yeah. was a possibility.
1: I think, like, unless I'm misremembering and, and, and not understanding a lot, I don't get the impression she actually wanted him to die. Yeah. Um. I do think this was probably, uh, like, just some a, a bit of a tactical decision um, in case things didn't work out with Blake, but I Don't necessarily believe that she was actively planning against him uh, that much.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, And with that, we have reached the end of Null 9.1. We're back with Blake, confirmed, and who knows what is going to happen next.
1: Yeah. I mean, I assume he's going to get out of here at some point, but, you know, um, I assumed we were only going to Toronto for an arc, so I don't know how long we're going to be here. Uh, (laughs) But, I mean- it's going to be a heck of a journey, I imagine. And I don't I don't know if Blake's going to come out completely himself still. Like, I think, you know, I talked about how when he first died, I didn't think that Wildboat was the sort of person to, or the, the sort of writer to have that mean nothing. Mm. And I think Blake will get out of here, uh, but obviously it'll cost him something. And I'm very interested to see what that is.
0: All right. Well, I guess we'll have to see next time. Uh- but before we leave, um, we it's time to take a look back at some answers that were left to our discussion question. Now, if you remember, our discussion question was, who should be the Lord of Jacob's Bell? And we got a bunch of different answers. Um, I think yeah. the award for most cohesive answer, most, yeah, most, most cohesive answer, most uh, comprehensive, comprehensive as well. Yeah. Um not most cohesive. You're right. They're all cohesive. Nobody lost the plot in their <laughs> answer. The most comprehensive answer here was, uh, Zaal, who basically started out by defining a set of criteria that they thought made for a good lord. Um, things like quality of life, how much they actually improved the lives of their subjects. Uh, stability or longevity, as in, can they rule for a you know a fair chunk of time and
1: not have the the lordship be too chaotic. Uh, power yeah and i mean like you know uh, mm. sorry i was just gonna say uh, well including power like you know of those first three categories you know we can look at someone like conquest and say well he's two for three
0: yeah <laughs> yeah and and the last one is the one that conquest doesn't do too well on which was political skill um can they kind of peace keep the peace can they so- solve conflicts and Jarl i actually uh used conquest as a kind of example here being neutral on the first one they didn't really improve the lives of their subjects but they didn't do anything terrible uh conquest obviously does very well on stability and on power and did badly on political skill or maybe neutral on political skill i i don't know i'd i'd give him a bad
1: (laughs) rule to be honest uh
0: so so gialzal went through everybody and kind of landed on sandra slash the duchamps as the as the winner based on these metrics because one kind of big point that really turned it for the duchamps is uh, they are a lineage, right? Um, mm-hmm. Whereas when you compare it to Johannes, he's obviously powerful, but if something would happen to him, there's there's no kind of support structure there to keep it from
1: turning into some, you know, Game of Thrones style battle for the throne, which I really liked as a reason. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and then obviously political skill they've got in the bag. Oh, yeah. Um, that's
0: And they're pretty powerful as well. And also they would probably improve the lives of you know, of 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 the the practitioners and hopefully the ordinary
1: folk, at least a little bit. Yeah, I mean that's that's probably their weakest uh category, that last one, but um not so much that like, yeah, you wouldn't discount them more than just about everyone else who's a serious contender. Yeah. And I mean that that's the thing with this whole war for Jacob's belt. I can't help but think that um as well as our current contenders, some other people are gonna come out of the woodwork who nobody knows about yet. Yeah. Um And that'll be, you know, it it might just be just as soon as everyone's, like, maybe getting it sorted and realising who's going to win, there's going to be some fucking late contender comes in and (laughs) just, like, fucks everything up. Well, one of the things that came up in a bunch of answers is
0: everybody basically thought that there were no good choices here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, Hybum7 talked about how basically all the contenders should be ruled out, Um, but kind of touched on the possibility that if it wasn't duncan a Bahame might be a pretty good leader especially kind of operating under the assumption that amon did some stuff to kind of help Laird set up to help the next generation be freer and kind of slowly generationally break the wheel um uh to to kind of you know keep the keep the keep, keep yeah. the peace without being
1: uh be- beholden to you know outdated power structures i mean uh- the my my favorite part of um of this answer was uh when so so 7 eventually settles on mags i mean you know it was back when we were still calling her ex maggie <laughs> yeah um but settles on mags like as somebody who actually seems to care about muggles and also like sh- she kind of gets the politics points because everyone in the area like you know kind of got on with her like she acted as a sort of middleman and so while that's not really a ruler she was mm. kind of a keeper of the Peace, or she's set herself up to be a little bit of a keeper of the peace, yes.
0: I think if we jump back to Jarl's scale though, Mag's fails on the power uh uh, axis, right? Um, potentially Mag's, yeah, I mean, I kind of get that vibe, but
1: um, give her that, give her that uh Thorburn library, that'll (laughs) that'll sort that That out, that
0: would sort it out, but also like (laughs) being good at politics and being kind of helping quality of life and stuff like that without the power, basically is being an ambassador for whoever the Lord is, right? Like, I I, yeah. I kind of get the sense that she's really slotted into the best position for her here, which isn't Lord, because she's just not powerful enough to, to defend against actual challenges, but it is kind of being in the system and helping to improve from from inside.
1: No, you're right. She's definitely, like, at least at the moment, much more of an advisor-type role. Yeah. Um, she's the person who, you know, sits by her side. Well, not Johanna's. Uh, and, and says, no, that's dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
0: definitely. Um, uh, Kalsubaloo V2 uh, called out Molly's ghost as a potential <laughs> Lord of Jacob's Bell, which they, they made some good points uh, in a theoretical perspective, um, but uh, th- I think there are some practical problems with this one that needs to kind of be ironed out
1: before it will work. <laughs> um no i don't see it
0: no yeah no uh one is that the the fact that they don't seem to be able to talk or communicate or really have much agency um but who knows uh another answer we got was napalm eagle who basically put down a pretty convincing case for why there actually isn't ever going to be a lord and something else is going to happen like ava's going to just kind of go off and and kill all the major players and then it'll just be a kind of ghost town literally
1: um yeah yeah well Again, coming back to Mags being in town, uh, you know, she still prophesies to have her um, blood, fire, and darkness. which That's true. I don't- do Do you reckon Arc 8 counts as one of those? Yeah. I'm, I'm not so sure it does. I, well, um, There was some darkness, but there wasn't much fire and blood. And I think also
0: Pordrick kind of called out that he didn't think it would count. That was in his letter, so that was before things got real bad for her, but I don't know. I, I think it's undecided whether that counts. One thing that definitely yeah. doesn't count, though, is Toronto, because she wasn't there.
1: <laughs> yes, uh, that seemed much more likely to count. Well, and yeah. I guess that's the other thing. Was that prophecy... I, I I don't think the prophecy was aimed at Maggie Holt. I think it was aimed at her. But I don't know yes, how it I works agree. exactly. Um, I, I'm mostly sure it's still in the cards, but there's actually a chance she got out of it. Although I think she would have like made more of a deal out of it if that was a good chance.
0: Uh, yeah, and I think also Podrick kind of had his pick of which connections he wanted to maintain. I suspect yeah. that that's how he was able to kind of do it, was just be like, I don't actually want that, so that can stay with you. The one piece <laughs> of evidence that goes against that, though, is he took the no swearing thing, which seemed to be a mistake. He seemed to be surprised by it.
1: Yeah. I, my interpretation is it had more to do with uh, whether it was associated with the name or with her. Like when- Yeah. When the prophecy was first landed on her, it was before she was a practitioner, and I'm pretty sure the goblin yeah. didn't know her name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas you know, almost everything you do as a practitioner, you sort of sign up as a practitioner. And you, uh, you, know, your you name. explicitly sign off on, I guess. Yeah. Um, signature. Mm. Interesting. Mm. Uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah, so I guess the last one we should touch on was uh, we got one from Stuck in Reddit Factory. Mm-hmm. Uh, who you know, basically listed off everyone and why they're a bad choice. Yeah. Um, but sort of eventually decided that the Duchamps and the Baham combo uh, is, like, the least bad option, essentially. Yeah. I wonder if that combo is still going to exist without Laird. I mean, I guess it was based around a marriage, which was about to happen, so. Oh, but it definitely seems like Laird and Sandra were the orchestrators of yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, like I get the impression Sandra's still kind of banking on it because it sounds like, you know, what she was telling uh, Mags was that it was kind of they had come to this agreement that Laird would kind yep. of get it, but she wanted it. Now with Laird out of the picture, she sees herself as second in line. And yep. I guess she's just got to hope that bahams are still on that train too. <laughs> I'm
0: sure Duncan isn't enough of a shithead to mess with that, of course. <laughs> no, it, uh, I would not trust Duncan with any kind of nuanced political dealings. So I expect some bad stuff's going to happen there. <laughs>
1: I guess we'll see. Yeah. Uh
0: speaking of we'll see, that's the end of our uh, of our uh, here episode. Um thanks for joining us. If you want to discuss some of these discussion answers that we got or just discuss this chapter in general, the best place to do that is in the discussion thread, which will be linked hmm. in the down the bottom of the episode there.
1: Yeah. Um but if you want to discuss other things uh, you should head to doofmedia.com, where you can find all the other great podcasts on the Doof Network, mm. and those will give you plenty of other things to discuss.
0: Give me an example of a maybe a new podcast which has just joined the network, Ellie. One that I Whoa. haven't heard before.
1: <laughs> <laughs> funny you should ask, Ruben. Uh, I didn't
0: really ask, but okay.
1: Funny you should ask, Ruben. Um, MediaMD has just joined Doof. Whoa, what's uh, that? So that's our... That's our other podcast, which uh, I think we've plugged <laughs> on here occasionally. Yeah. Um, but in particular, the, the first episode that is part of Doof is uh, our annual checkup. Mm-hmm. So we're going through a whole bunch of things we've watched over the last three years. So when I said that there'd be lots of different things for you to discuss, I really meant it. Because yep. if you check out this annual checkup, there'll be lots of different things to talk about.
0: Yes, we talk about a whole bunch of different things. Um, so if you like us talking about Pact, why not check out us talking about some other stuff. <laughs> uh, go to doofmedia.com to find that. Um, you can also find us on our Twitter, which is at MediaMD Podcast. And that is finally going to make a bit more sense to people who are only on the Doof Network and don't listen to our <laughs> other show. Uh, that's where you can find, yeah. uh, that's where you can interact with us outside of the discussion thread. And you can also find Elliot's live reads, where he live reads
1: the chapters. Yes. Uh and of course, you know, with with MediaMD joining Doof, um it's obviously it makes a huge difference to how well we can do you know, this show and mm. MediaMD. Yeah. Uh and a huge part of that is Doof's patrons who, you know, keep the whole network afloat. Yes. Uh, so if you head to patreon dot com slash doofmedia, uh you can help be a part of that.
0: Yeah, it's especially important nowadays because as a condition of joining the network, the, the two hosts of Media MD demanded quite a large portion of the Patreon money. So us over here at Deep Deep Impact Industries, we really need some support from the patrons to, to help balance it all out. So head on over to patreon.com slash doofmedia and you can help us fight the tide of these
1: Media MD tyrants. Yeah, what a bunch of assholes. I know right um speaking of not being assholes, uh <laughs> Walbo's Patreon. Patreon.com slash <laughs> Um, you know, Wabo's a really cool dude. He yep. writes really cool stories, yep. even though they're a little bit scary, like Ugh. this chapter.
0: Keep you up at um, night.
1: Yeah. So, you know, if you want more existential dread, head to patreon.com slash Wabo and, uh, throw him some money so he'll keep making it.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe a Green Eyes spin-off series is in the works. Who knows? <laughs> um, that's all we have for you today, but, uh, come back on Monday the 29th and hear us talk about uh, Deep Impact Null 9.2. See you then.